Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. That's it. Interlull is over. Done and dusted. There will not be another Interlull until next year. And as we all know, that's absolutely ages away. Next year, it's like maybe a whole year or something, maybe a bit less. Who knows at this point? But it's a long time before we're going to have another tedious, tiresome, Nations League, uninspired interlull. The champs are back in action this weekend with a trip to Bournemouth. And then it's just, it's just game after game after game after game after game. Man, there's some difficult fixtures coming up between now and the end of the year which isn't that far away, which of course means next year is not that far away either. Hmm. feel like I've sold you a bit of a pup here with that uh, interlull thing, so forgive me for that. But Bournemouth and then Europa League and then North London Derby and then Manchester United and some other games and another North London Derby, then the festive schedule, then we play Liverpool away just uh, just before New Year's and a lot of football to play between now and then. I think we've 11 games, so it's going to be all Arsenal all the time. That's right. We don't have to be distracted by anything else. It's just going to be build up to a game, game, aftermath of a game, build up to the next game, game, aftermath of that game, etc., etc. Just one after the other. Every three or four days we're going to be playing, and it's going to test this squad, and it is going to test Unai Emery. And for those who think, hey, this guy is not used to to playing football so regularly, particularly over the festive period, remember that old Spanish saying, it's better to have a game every three days than to have your head caved in with a rock. Yeah, they do have some strange sayings in Spain, but in this case, it seems quite apt. Who amongst us would prefer to have a rock stave in our head or three games of what you can't say stave in is it stove stove in what's the past tense of stave staved staved in stove stove i go back to my old classic about how the past tense of niche should be nat english needs to get better but anyway look the point is we've got lots of football to come and that means lots of uh lots of stuff for us to talk about on the podcast and on the arsecast extra and everything else so that's good news and we've made it through the interlull as far as i can tell without anybody getting really badly injured so that's also a good thing we're going to need as many players as fit and healthy as possible to get through this uh, challenging period 
of rocks and heads and football every three days. You know how it goes. So that's a good thing. That's a good part of this particular interlull. And uh, we're going to chat about the Bournemouth game now in a few minutes' time. Tim Stillman will be here in a minute to talk about that and also some of the uh, Arsenal women news going well for the Arsenal women at the top of the table. But injuries, injuries, injuries are causing some problems there. And one in particular for Jordan Nobbs is a, a very bad injury. She's ruptured her anterior cruciate ligament, which is a real blow for her particularly with the World Cup coming up. So we're going to chat a little bit about the uh, the Arsenal women as well. As I said, look ahead to the Bournemouth game. And we might just talk a little bit about a man who used to play for us but no longer plays football because he has retired. Andre Arshavin, who of course featured many, many times on this podcast, has called it quits. His time in football is at an end. And I'm curious to see what Tim thinks about uh, Andre Arshavin, his time at Arsenal. Maybe it's because he's been on the podcast that I have a quite a soft spot for him, even though I think he, he didn't really fulfill his potential, mostly because, you know, he couldn't be arsed. And in some ways, you kind of have to respect that. I mean, maybe not at the time when he's playing for you, but in hindsight... He was committed to not giving a shit about doing things that most other footballers do, like, you know, train and stay fit and run. So in this crazy topsy-turvy world where everything is now regimented and by the book, maybe he's like the last of one of the, the real characters that we'll see in the game. Maybe. Who knows? We'll talk to Tim about that in a little while. Also, on this particular episode, I will be talking to our old friend and genius cartoonist, David Squires. You will, of course, have seen his stuff, and I, I'm sure you're reading it every week in The Guardian, his brilliant, brilliant cartoons. He's got a brand new book coming out, so we're going to talk about that, as well as giving you a chance to win a copy of that book. We've got a couple to give away with thanks to the publishers. And before I do that, I know that I have completely and utterly forgotten in the last couple of episodes to give you the winner of the Unai Emery book competition. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Romain Molina, who wrote the book El Maestro, very interesting book about Unai Emery. There's a signed copy of that to give away. I did the competition. I just forgot to give out the uh, the winner's name. So without further ado, congratulations to JJ Dennis. You've won the book. I will be in touch with you by email, and we will get that book sent out to you. And if you want to listen to that episode, you can go back. It's episode 500 of the Arscast, uh, and that is the interview with Romain Molina, who wrote the book El Maestro. Right. Let's get on with the show, and it's always a pleasure to welcome back Tim Stillman. Hi, Tim. Hello there. Let's start by talking about the article that you did this week on Arsblog News um, about the uh, Arsenal women midfielder, attacking midfielder, Danielle van der Donk. Um, I know not everybody is into women's football, and that's great, but this particular piece was a way of getting behind the scenes of what's going on in women's football and what they do on a day-to-day basis in training. What was it mm-hmm. like to sort of sit down and talk to her? What were the key things that you took away from that as uh, in comparison, let's say, with the the knowledge or perception that we have of what uh, one of the men does during the week. Yeah, this, this is um, so. This is an article I've been wanting to do for a little while. Um, kind of lift the bonnet, as it were, because um, things in women's football have professionalised very, very rapidly. Um, and now it's it's a mandatory requirement for every every team in the top flight to be fully professional. So they're all training mm. at least five days a week, and it's their full time job. Um, 
and and that's now a mandatory requirement. Arsenal have been in that space for a couple of years, so they're a little bit ahead of the game, but they professionalised very rapidly as a response to Manchester City, and Arsenal will admit they were caught rocking on their heels a little bit Mm. by that, and it was all a little bit hectic, and they saw Manchester City do this, and they went oh crap we've got to do this as well and they 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 did it all very very quickly behind the scenes and so they started appointing strength and conditioning coaches video analysts you know um emma byrne was arsenal women's goalkeeper for i think nearly 15 years she was the goalkeeping coach as well so she was actually her own goalkeeping coach That's um, got to make the uh, the warm ups and the uh, the drills on the training ground a little challenging. Good for the reflexes if you can yeah. get in the end of the shots you're firing at yourself, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she was training to be a goalkeeping coach and coaching the reserve goalkeepers. So they, they didn't have a goalkeeping coach until a few years ago, and now they have. You know, they're, they're on a consultancy basis, but they have full time goalkeeping mm. coaches. And I really wanted to. I've been wanting to do it for a while. Like really, kind of blow it open and show people. Um, what actually happens now and you know we did the player performance article over uh, over the summer and the women have access to those facilities as well so they don't have as much staff in that respect they've yeah. got they've got strength and conditioning coach they've got um uh, you know they've got like a warm-up coach and things like that who actually used to be Davina McCall's uh, personal trainer um, a guy called Jermaine that was his job before <laughs> he came to Arsenal and uh, they've got like an Irish guy whose name I really can't pronounce um, go who, on how do, you, how, of, do you, how do you give it a try and let's see oh god um, it's like it's spelt like it's it's really really like really Irish it's like go spelt on. like C-A-U-I-B-R like you know, it's it's one of those. It, I'm sure it's like pronounced like David or something, but it's it's one of those names that that for me as a as a not an Irish person is just completely baffling. Sure, um, we do uh, have I'll some tweet of those, it out right, yeah. and, and let people have a go. But so yeah, I, I really wanted to like lift the lid on that stuff, and I was curious about the dietary side as well because I didn't really know um, about that. And um, yeah, this this interview's been a little while in the making. I went to watch them train a few weeks ago, but that was all a bit last minute. And then I wanted to do it last month. But then Joe Montemora, the manager, signed a new contract. So I decided mm. to go with that instead. And uh, yeah, so I, I spoke to Danielle um, and I went up to... Uh, the, there's kind of an unfortunate um, context to this. I went up to... Uh, Merseyside to the Everton ladies game on Sunday to do this interview I I was actually going to do it with Jordan Nobbs um, but unfortunately um, she got she got a serious injury so couldn't do it and so I I must put on record um, my gratitude to Daniel van der Donk for doing it not least because the mood was incredibly low as you can imagine amongst the players um, after what happened to Jordan in the last 10 minutes of the game I mean, they were just kicking the ball out of play. I mean, the game was over and none of them really wanted to play that last 10 minutes. And very unusual. They all went straight down the tunnel to to check on Jordan, which Mm. is entirely understandable. Um, So I kind of and I really didn't want to push it too much, you know, and I kind of said, look, if none of the players want to talk to me, don't worry about it. But um, but DVD was was incredibly good and Mm. um, did kind of come and talk to me uh, fairly last minute. So. Uh, hugely in, indebted um, to her for doing that, but yeah, it, and it just um, it, it taught me some things a little bit as well because I, I knew they trained pretty much every day of the week, but I didn't realise how it was structured in terms of you know going into the gym, 
eating together, training, going to the gym again. Um, and it's it's a real kind of nine to five um, kind of pursuit, really, mm. um, on the days that they're in. And uh, I, I watch them train on a Saturday, the day, the day before a game. So I, I kind of watch them do like the set pieces and the and, and the kind of tactical and technical side. And Joe is a manager who's incredibly smart with that side. He has a completely different game plan for every opponent. He plays different formations according to the opponent. So, um, and one of the really smart things he did that I was quite curious about, they, they appointed a new assistant manager um, who came over from Melbourne this summer, uh, Aaron Dantino. And where they've been quite smart is obviously because they don't have the size of staff of the men. Aaron is, um, he was head of performance analysis at Melbourne Victory. So he's an expert in video analysis. He's also a trained physiologist um, and strength and conditioning coach himself. And he's a coach. So right. he's kind of like... He can probably drive the team bus as well if it needs and paint the walls and... Exactly, exactly. So they've effectively got three staff members in one position, which is actually a very clever thing to do, um, given the the kind of size of the staff. So I I really wanted to kind of blow that open um, a little bit. And particularly for people who perhaps, you know, only have a casual interest or aren't entirely abreast of what's happening, like really give an insight into what these girls do every week and why it is now their full time job and why Mm. they earn um, commensurate, commensurate salaries, not with the men, but with, you know, a good kind of full-time job in the city. So uh, just anecdotally, because I think that's all you can really look at it f- uh, from that point of view, really, you know, having attended the games and and clearly mm. there's a bit more focus on the Arsenal women. Maybe that's just kind of my perception because you're obviously doing stuff on Ars Blog News, which is great. Um, but there is a bit more out there for Arsenal women beyond what's on the official site. So mm-hmm. it's sort of leaking outwards a bit. Are you seeing maybe an upturn in interest? Are gates going up? Are attendances going yeah. up? Is there more interaction online when it comes to, to the Arsenal women's team? Yeah, definitely. Um, So attendances still aren't where they should be and where people want them to be. Um, With this new professionalisation, there's there's a target to have an average gate of 2,000. At the moment, at most Arsenal women games, you'll get about 1,500. Um, You'll you'll rarely get 2,000. And the, the target is to have that as an average. Um, so the attendances still aren't quite there. They've climbed this year, I think largely because um, the girls are playing pretty well. Um, there has been a push in the coverage. I like to think, I could be wrong, um, I like to think that what we're doing is pushing the needle mm. um, a little bit and kind of um, pushing, I, I don't want to say pushing the club itself because they have a lot of good staff that are kind of dedicated to it, but um you know, I, I hope we're kind of showing away with what we're doing. Sure. And, and look, in fairness, I suppose one thing we should just say here is that they, they've been very good in terms of giving you access to mm-hmm. the games and also giving you access to the players, which is a part of yep. it's part of the circle, isn't it? You know, to mm. to to build the interest and to create content that people want to look at and, and want to read. You know, the, mm. the, the Arsenal women's team have been uh, pretty open in that regard as well. So we've got to give them some some props for that. Absolutely, yeah. They've 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 never really turned me down for anything. Um, put it that way, and I, I you know I can be quite um, pushy <laughs> with them sometimes, probably more than they want. But um, yeah, they're they're incredibly open and incredibly generous, and they don't hover around when I interview. Mm. They don't ask to see a copy of anything. You know, it's all very like laid back and and all of that. And um, yeah, so and, and I think in the stories that we do, I'm I'm noticing a little bit 
you know, gradually like a, a little bit more in terms of comments. And and what's great was the last home game against Birmingham. Um, the press box was overflowing, which I've never seen before. Um, but there was, you know, listen, it's it's a tiny little kind of press box at Meadow Park. But mm. it was the first time I've ever seen, um, you know, not everyone be able to get a seat um in there and that's 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 fairly regular and um there's a there's a, a really really good writer at the guardian called Susie rack who's kind of doing covering the women's beat full-time now right. the times have a full-time wsl reporter molly hudson now and you know so the mainstream interest is really there now and you know i've sat next to Susie rack at the last couple of games and it's it's great that you know she's doing like live blogs for the guardian and stuff and it's yeah it's it's beginning to build up and i think arsenal will have had three games in a row on bbc um in the next couple of weeks so it's it is beginning to build and it is beginning to go in the right direction well it's good news um and good news for the team because they are playing very well they're top of the the super league uh eight wins from eight i know you've spoken before about how the maybe the quality there's a big variance in quality between top Mm. of the table and bottom of the table but even still that's an impressive start to a season isn't it yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thankfully for us, like Chelsea started really slowly. Um, I, I don't know if that's just they lost a little bit of edge after kind of walking to the double last season. Man City started a little bit slowly, had a couple of surprise results and, and we've kept on going. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 basically not been done this kind of this mm. start. Um, in terms of winning eight consecutive games and winning most of them really emphatically, you know, racking up four, five, six, seven goals. Um, it's it's almost like a bit of a throwback to the old days of, of Arsenal ladies in that respect. But yeah. I, I don't expect that level to quite continue, not least because there are, um, there are a few injuries creeping into quite a small squad at the moment. All right. Well, look, we'll see how they cope with that. And people can find your stuff uh, about the Arsenal women. There's a dedicated section on Arsblog News, which is arseblog.news if you haven't visited before you want to find out more about the Arsenal women's team and of course lots about Arsenal in general that is the site for you to go and visit so look let's move from the women to the men and after an interlull we're heading back into action and heading into a really um, a really challenging part of the season Uh, I'm sure you saw the interview with Unai Emery the one that he did with Marka in which he sort Mm -hmm. of expanded a little bit on, on some of the the challenges that he faced. I, I like the analogy that he made of having to throw all the windows open, uh, which is yeah. a really nice way of putting it after 22 years. You know, you do, you've got to, you've got to air out the house. You move into someone yeah. else's house, you've got to air out. The, it's, it's normal. Uh, you know, I saw a lot of uh, headlines today about how, you know, he, he, Unai Emery reveals the one thing Wenger never did, all this kind of nonsense. <laughs> but he, he did make a point, um, and respectfully, it, it has to be said that he made this mm-hmm. point respectfully, that perhaps there was a little bit too much focus um, on the attacking side of the game with Arsene Wenger and not enough on the defensive side of the game. And I think even if you are the most staunch lover of Arsene Wenger, even if you thought he could never do any wrong, I think you'd find it hard to disagree with (laughs) with that particular assertion from from Unai Mm. Emery. So it's... um, I I found that quite interesting, especially as... Um, we heard it a bit earlier in the season about how his focus is on the defense and making the defense better. And he's mm. he's finding it tough to do yep. that. 
it's still very early, of course, but it, it, you know, there's obviously a lot of focus going on this area and he's still finding it quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's not anything that surprises anyone, is it? That um, and and this, I think the other point he made is is quite um, you know, is quite right as well. Look, look, any leadership style after twenty two years, pretty much any leadership style is going to go stale, no matter what it is. Yeah. And Ar- Arsene Wenger's worked for Arsenal for a long, long time, but after twenty two years, I mean. You, you can be you can be absolutely elite if Pep Guardiola stays at Man City for 22 years I mean I can't imagine those players would do anything other than murder him after about <laughs> 10 years it's it's just yeah. that that's just the natural run of things and that's in any organization not just football once you have someone at the top for a while you need you need to kind of change things up a little bit um, and yes of, of course I think it's absolutely no um, surprise to anyone that it, it's not just the defensive structure, is it? I mean, look at the squad we have. And, mm. you know, we've got a squad where the likes of Aaron Ramsey can't get a sniff of the first 11. We have to play a Bamiyang out wide to accommodate him. You know, we've. Yeah. And yet at the back, it's it's all a bit um, Europa League at best. Um, so it's not it's not just the structure. And I, I think what he's doing with the midfield is a little bit like the way he's insisting on that kind of double pivot, which which I think makes sense um, and, and perhaps trying to protect the defence a little yeah. bit. But it's it needs an injection of quality, sure. I think. I think we can organise a little bit better and there's more we can do there. But, I mean, really, there's there's got to be... I, I think there's got to be some turnover all over the For pitch, sure. to be honest. For sure. I mean, look, I mean, you can look at midfield and say, OK, we're going to build around... Uh, Torreira and even Xhaka if you like but you can see how Torreira could be a mainstay of the team for years to come you look up front mm-hmm. and Lacazette's there you know he's 27 so still got a good few years left you know as your number one striker depending on what you do with Aubameyang you know you can see how you can build a team in that sense you look at the mm-hmm. back and you go who is going to be the mainstay in that defense from all the personnel that we have who are you yeah. going to build a defense around I mean the only one that I would say is outperforming and I like what Rob Holding is doing but Mm. I'm cautious obviously you know Hector Bellerin is somebody who's made an improvement this season and you can see how he's beginning to flourish under Unai Emery Mm. but uh, building your defense around a right back is is not how you do it you know you've got to get that central part right and when I look at our collection of central defenders I don't really see who are the anchor men there, if you like, mm. without getting to um, Ron Burgundy on the whole thing? Yeah. You know, who who are the guys that are going to be there in two years, three years' time that, that are going to be key players in this team? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think actually there's, there's a sense of what Arsenal kind of need to do by necessity at the moment is kind yeah. of build in stages. For a start off, um, Pep Guardiola's presence in the Premier League, to me, that means the title is off the table for everybody else until he goes. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how clubs like Liverpool and Chelsea and Man United cope with this. The fact that if he stays mm. for another three years, they're probably not going to win the league. And this might be the best Liverpool team of the last 25 years. And they're still not going to win the league. Mm. Um, and it will be interesting to see how a lot of clubs cope with that. I, I think that actually works out OK for us because we're not that's not where we're looking at the moment. We're looking at top four. Yeah. And then maybe. And, and so what we've got to look at really really is putting a team together that can consistently get in the top four again. And and that's why I think, for example, Xhaka and Torreira should probably just be left alone. 
um, for a few years. And look, if in three years time we're, you know, we're back where we were, which is kind of a comfortably second, third or fourth place team, maybe we could look at someone like Xhaka and say, well, you know, thanks, you've helped us get back here, but we want to go to the next level now. And yeah. I think maybe in the defence, we might have to do a bit of that. It might have to be a little bit of, um, you know, the sorts of defenders that maybe get you third or fourth. And then you can, and I think that's what the signing of someone like Socrates was about. It's it's about, he he's not, you know, he's not like a championship winning yeah. centre half, but if he can help us get, climb one rung of the ladder then we can negotiate the next one a bit later yeah and, um, yeah I'm, i mean just thinking about what you're saying and I, I i take it on board fully but when you look perhaps at what city are doing it's not the strength of their defense that's getting them to no. where they are you know there it's not that defense is an afterthought it's just they don't have to do as much defending as everybody else because they're so good from an attacking point of view but i'm not sure we have the the luxury or the the resources to make our attack as as good as all that but yeah i mean i think it, it's going to be the big challenge this season for him to to provide any kind of defensive solidity are, are you expecting him to maybe try holding and socrates together in the Premier League, they haven't played together in the Premier League, not consistently anyway. They have done in the Europa no. League. Uh, you know, is it is it the only thing he can try now if he wants to to see if he can form a partnership back there? I know Koscielny will be back, but you know mm. we have to give him some time to to build his fitness again. Are you expecting him to change it, or or do you think he's kind of wedded to Mustafi as the the ever present? I I wouldn't be surprised if he looks at I, I the way I read it is he's just looking at a few things um, at the moment. So he's had Mustafi and Socrates. I appreciate Socrates has been injured, but I, I feel like now he's thinking, right, okay, let's give um, Mustafi and Holding a chance. I wouldn't be surprised if perhaps, I don't know, in like the last couple of Europa League games and the Carabao Cup game, he has a little look at Socrates and holding and, and then makes another decision from there. I, mm. I feel like he's in a bit of like um, an information gathering cycle at the moment. I think he likes holding back there because of what he can do with the ball. Yeah. Um, and he fits in quite nicely to that. And I also just think that Mustafi and Socrates are, are too similar yeah. um, to play together. It's got a bit of the Vermal and Koscielny's about it for me. And that's why, you know, Holding isn't an absolutely amazing defender. But one of the reasons he's played well is um, it, it's very unlike any other area of our squad where we've got quite talented individuals who don't fit together. Holding is that really rare example of someone who's not, you know, he's a good defender, but not super talented. But he kind of fits. And um, I think Arsenal probably need a few other players like that. Yeah. Um, and and I think in January we might make an approach for, you know, you know how um, all summer it looked like we Emery really wanted uh, Eva Benega um, in the team. And, and, and Eva Benega is not better than what we have in that position. But maybe a little bit like how Jorginho has gone to Chelsea and the whole reason Chelsea have taken to Sarri is because basically they've got the key to his team and they've just transplanted him in there yeah. and I wonder if Emery wanted to do something similar with Eva Benega not because he thinks he's better than Ramsey or Ozil or Xhaka or whoever he'd play for but just because he he fits Emery's idea um, mm. a little bit more and I, I tend to think in January and in the summer and over the next few windows we might see moves for these types of players 
Maybe. I mean, I have to say, uh, you know, I think Benega's a good player, but a 30-year-old who's going to be 31 his next birthday, <laughs> that's true of most 30-year-olds, actually, which, uh, yeah. you know, is a remarkable thing to say. He's 30 until he's 31. That's how it works, as <laughs> we all know. Uh, I, I just worry that, you know, we already have Mkhitaryan, who's heading to 30 or 30. We've got yeah. Ozil, who's 30. We've got Aubameyang, who's nearly 30. You know, we need to maybe change the age profile. That's why I thought the, the, the links with the guy from Lille, uh, Nicolas Pepe, were very interesting because not only is he the kind of player that a lot of people are saying, well, we need need that kind of a winger at Arsenal. He's 23 years of age uh, and he's got... He's got his best years ahead of him. He may not spend all of those years at Arsenal, but if Arsenal could get three seasons out of a player like that and do what Liverpool did, for example, with some of their players, sell them for a big price and use that money to reinvest, I'd be much more on board with that than someone like Benega. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't think they'll go back in for Benega, but I I just I think maybe in the summer Emery Mm. was thinking I want someone to come in quickly and knit this together. But yeah, that that is we've got to reset the uh, the age profile of the squad, and I think. so, so the the way I kind of read it at the moment, um, and I think this is a good thing, even though I'm not here personally. Everyone really wants to see the good in um, in like this this revolution at Arsenal and in Unai Emery, um, which, which I think is perfectly fine. Uh, personally, I'm I'm still in the um, wait and see camp. I'm I'm still kind of. Um, uh, trying to work it out a little bit. I've, I've possibly been slightly underwhelmed, but mm. I think I slightly expected that. And 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 so I think everyone really, really wants to buy in. And so I think the level of change has perhaps been overstated so far, which I think is fine. Um, and, you know, after a few years of a really, really moody supporter base, I'm quite fine with everyone looking at things a little bit rosy. Mm. But but also with this kind of quite understandable desire to give Emery time and space. And I saw David Seaman saying this week, you know, that there was some suggestion that um, some of the kind of Arsenal bigwigs were saying we have to get back in the Champions League. And David Seaman was kind of saying, oh, leave him alone. And, and I understand that. But um, but we absolutely have to. Yeah, we do. I, I, I think. There is a bit of an iceberg looming and you've referred to the age profile of almost our entire attack. We have to replace all those players very, very soon. We have to rebuild that defence. We need to be in the Champions League both for reputational reasons and to get the money to do that, not least because for reasons I don't think I'll ever be able to work out, we've left lots of money on the table for Mm. two of the attackers we actually (laughs) did have who were sellable and had you know, who, who had a bit of resale price to them. So, yeah. you know, if Arsenal don't get back in this year, and, and that, that is unfair on Emery, I completely agree. And that's not his fault. And unfortunately, we held on to Wenger for too long. And we kind of ate into the transition tariff a little bit for Emery. So I don't think he has two or three years to get back in the Champions League, even if that's what he deserves. I think it has to happen now. It has to happen yeah. this year by hook or by crook. Otherwise, I think Arsenal are in for a bit of a drift because this squad needs rebuilding pretty soon. Uh, I would agree with that. And I think that's part of the reason why he was brought in. Uh, So let me just, you know, two things occur to me in in that regard. We had uh, Vinay Venkatesham this week talking about how Arsenal are losing tens of millions of pounds 
yep. being out of the the Champions League. And that's, you know, he said, oh, look, we can cope with it for now. But that's mm-hmm. fairly stark. That's tens of millions of pounds we're losing in money from the Champions League. Tens of millions of pounds that we've left on the table for two players who, who are popular players. Um, well, some of them, mm-hmm. Ramsey obviously divides opinion a bit, but, you know... Uh, He's a player who would have raised significant funds last summer. Danny Welbeck is a player who would have raised significant funds last summer. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. It's unfair to to pin this on Emery in any way. It's much more a thing um, that we have to look at Ivan Gazidis and the previous uh, manager, Arsene Wenger, for. I think Gazidis maybe more than Wenger when it came mm-hmm. to dealing with this summer because Wenger was gone when April, we knew he was going, so yeah, yeah. decisions were out of his hands at that point, and we had a whole summer and a transfer window looming. Um, so you wonder if perhaps KSE, Stan Kroenke, they've got to be aware of how damaging it is to Arsenal and to their investment in Arsenal mm-hmm. to be outside the Champions League, financially, sportingly, footballistically, reputationally, whatever way you want to put it. And the longer we stay out of it, the more difficult it is to get back into it. So mm-hmm. is there any chance in your mind that they might speculate to accumulate in a way when it comes to the transfer market? Because we heard that maybe now we might look at the January transfer window. I've seen you on Twitter talking about how you think January is a good time for Arsenal to bring mm-hmm. in players. And I, I wouldn't disagree with that, but just based on what they were saying, what Raul Senye, he said about not liking the January transfer window, it's not part of the plans, which we get. But then Danny Welbeck breaking his ankle was not part yep. of the plans. So you've got to react. You've got to react and yep. be able to react. And there's no point saying we'd like to do this and the guys sitting over in Colorado or wherever they are, whether stands in L.A. or his Texas ranch, wherever mm. it is, he can't just sit on his hands. Well, he can no. if he wants, but like he shouldn't is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, so the way I see it is Arsenal have already entered into a period where they're chasing their losses. So spending £100 million on strikers, one of whom is 30 years old um, and buying up lots of, you know, this is a kind of must-win-now team and putting a lot of money into a 29-year-old, now 30-year-old Mesut Ozil. Um, So they're already in a period, I think, where they're chasing their losses and, you know, leaving money on the table for the likes of Ramsey and and Welbeck. This this is a very, it's quite short-termist. It's very, oh, now we really must Mm. get back in the top four by hook or by crook. If we don't do it immediately, the next logical step when you're chasing your losses is to put a bit of money that perhaps you don't have. Um, So, you know, if you take the analogy like in your personal life, it's a bit like taking out a loan. You know, it's like, well, I'm going to go for that promotion. I'm going to go hell for leather for it. But if I don't get it soon, I might have to um, pay, a, pay a visit to the bank and get a loan out. Mm. And that that's kind of the situation Arsenal are in. They've staked a lot on the short term. And if it doesn't work in the short term, they either sit on their hands and just hope they get back in um, at some point and lose all of this money on all these kind of big ticket attackers. Or they take the next step and, you know, continue to chase their losses um, a little bit. Are you, sorry, I was going to ask, I mean, are you in any way reassured by the the changes that have been made at board level? I know that Sanyehi is much more of a football man than Gazidis ever was. You know, he's got the contacts. Um, Who did I hear? 
I think it could have been Amy talking on the the Arsenal Vision podcast where she mm. said that the, you know there's a touch of David Dean to Sanyehi in terms yeah. of the way that he operates and he knows everybody because of his time at, at Barcelona. Uh, Sven is now going to be our technical director. Um, we're looking at his diamond eye to bring in these young talents that can mm-hmm. help kick the team forward. Hosfami has been uh, has been made head of football operations. I mean, it is a lot to ask for these people to come together yeah. and and operate cohesively and and everything else. But is it a way that they might be able to make up some of the shortfall of what we're not getting from the owners in terms of investment? Is to be smarter? Is to be better? Be more dynamic mm-hmm. and and be less like the Arsenal we have been for a number of seasons where dithering and dilly-dallying and indecisiveness, whether it's to do with players coming in or players leaving the club, has really had a significant impact. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, I think that, to me, is... Um, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if more important is the right phrase. That, to me, is where the talent is at Arsenal, which is not to denigrate Unai Emery, who's a good coach... I'm not. I, I'm not convinced. Listen, I'm still open-minded because I'm still learning about the guy. I'm not convinced that Unai Emery is a great coach mm. necessarily, a good one, um, one who is capable. I think of getting us into the top four, but not someone, you know, like like what you know when Liverpool appointed Jurgen Klopp, and you looked at him yeah. and you think, yeah, that fits. That fit. not only is he a good coach, but that's a good fit personality-wise. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and with Emery, we're still finding that out, and that might happen, and it might not. To me, the talent. The real big ticket talent at Arsenal is in the likes of Sanyehi, in the likes of Mislintat. That is our competitive advantage um, right there. And you can see what Man City have done. Obviously, Man City have spent a lot of money on players and they've got the best coach in the world. But what they've done is they've built a structure around the club that is almost flawless. And they were building up to the appointment of Guardiola for years. That's what they built this whole thing for. So that that's really where City, you know, it's not just. So what Man United have done, for example, is they've just like thrown a load of money at a load of random players and then given it to the most famous manager in the world. Yeah. And and you can see it's not working. City have actually, they've spent a lot of money, but they've built an actual structure. And if Arsenal can, you know, I'm not sure they can do it as well as City, but if th- that has to be Arsenal's competitive advantage, if they've got possibly the best scout in the world, possibly, the, you know, in Sanyehi, you know, one of the really, really big fish who not only can deal with the big super agents, but, um, you know, might be able to call in a favor um, or yeah. two, someone who can hold his own in a room. And I, and I liked that, that comparison to David Dean. I do, I do think David Dean's reputation is perhaps in excess of what it should be, but you can't deny he had that gravitas, that kind of pressing the flesh. And that to me, I, I think you're exactly right. Cause I, I don't necessarily think that Unai Emery is, that we have like the manager or maybe even the player or not the squad. It's not balanced enough. There's a lot of talent to me. That's where the competitive advantage has to be over the next two, two to three years. It has to be identifying talent early. Um, even if it means selling it on in a couple of years and mm. being clever like that. And then if we can get the odd, um, the, the odd favor and listen, I think it's incredibly unlikely, but I do think, Maybe there's a little bit of um, fire with the Dembele stuff. I don't think it, I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm sure they're asking the question, mm. and I'm sure if anyone can do it, 
then it's probably Rouse and Yehi. And if, you know, even on loan, that would that would be a huge, a huge coup. I, I, like I say, I don't think it will happen, but we've got a much better chance of making it happen with yeah. him than with Dick Law. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. Okay, well, look, we'll see how those guys get on. Just very quickly before we go, I just wanted to ask you uh, a, a bit about Andre Arshavin, who retired from football <laughs> this week. Yeah. Um I mean, his his arrival at Arsenal was extraordinary because mm. this, you know, it had gone on for for weeks and weeks and maybe months actually with this yep. crazy agent that he had. Uh, everyone thought the deal was off because it got signed too late. You know, he was sitting on a plane. Apparently, there was the snow. Then he came yep. out and said, "You know, I am Gunnar." Uh, <laughs> we were all at that time, and I remember it very distinctly, saying. If Arsenal don't get a central defender in yeah. this transfer window, we're absolutely fucked. We're already <laughs> behind high-flying Martin O'Neill's Aston Villa. Oh, wow. How things change yeah. quickly in yeah, football. <laughs> but then Arsene Wenger, in one of the most Arsene Wenger moves of all time, brings in a, um, not a middle-aged, but a middle-aged in terms of footballer, mercurial Russian playmaker slash winger slash kind of ambler about guy capable of doing some amazing things it didn't end particularly well for him at arsenal mm. but i just just like to ask you what you thought of our Shavin. is he a player you think back on fondly or do you feel like he was a waster or how, how, how do you think about him <laughs> a, a complete mixture um between andre and i um, so first off, I think his role in getting us in the top four that year is is hugely overstated. Um, I think a couple of things happened. You know, we had the injury to Fabregas. And uh, if you look at Arsenal's results immediately after that, what they started doing was playing Denilson and Song together. And I think we had a period of four nil-nil draws in a row. Um but then actually what we started to do was play in a slightly different way and we were much more solid. And if you actually look at Arshavin's numbers, he didn't really start to contribute until we'd already overtaken Villa in the table, which is not to say he wasn't playing well, but his first goals and assists were already when Villa had started to fall apart. So I'm not, I'm not saying he was totally insignificant, but I think there's a bit of a, a mm. I hate the word narrative, but there's a narrative that he single-handedly dragged us to fourth place. And I don't think he really did. And then results really picked up when I think we had Fabregas and Adebayor injured and they came back and we, we ended up walking to fourth. I think we did it with three games to spare. So I, uh, I, I really wish we'd have got him earlier um, and perhaps beat some of the bad habits out of him. So I, there's a part of me that thinks he was a bit of a waster for the talent <laughs> he had, yeah. but there's a part of me that finds that endearing. Yeah. But uh, to finish off on, 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 I suppose, a slightly personal note, um, it, on, it's no exaggeration to say that Andre Alshivan is the reason I met my wife because um, she, uh, as many people, some people, I guess, will know, is, is from Brazil. And, you know, she was watching the Premier League and she was under pressure from friends of hers to pick a Premier League team to follow because they all follow the Brazilian League but have a Premier League team. Right. And and she resisted that pressure for a long time. Um, and then she was she was thinking about a team to choose and she'd watch Euro 2008 and kind of fallen in love a little bit with Arshavin. And so when Arshavin went to Arsenal, she said, OK, Arsenal are going to be my English team. Um, and, you know, things develop and that's that's eventually how we met. So, wow, OK. 
so so as as much <laughs> as I, I'm kind of on the fence about um, uh, about his Arsenal career, um, yeah, he it's no it's no exaggeration. To say he changed my life. Well, there you go. It's funny how the <laughs> these little the what's uh, we need Jeff Goldblum now to explain the butterfly <laughs> effect, flapping his wings in Tokyo, and you get a storm somewhere else. Well, that's a that's a nice story. That's a nice so, story. You know, I think he's I you know I have to say I think about it. He just makes me laugh, even though yeah. he made me mad quite a lot because of just what a what a kind of ah, I don't give a shit guy he was there was something about that in itself that was sort of endearing yeah. his commitment to that was amazing yeah he did um, <laughs> I, I'd advise people to dig it out uh, the the American jo- journalist Grant Wall um, do, does a podcast which I listen to occasionally and uh, just before the World Cup he interviewed uh, Andre Arshavin who was obviously one of the ambassadors and I, I just I advise I implore anyone to dig that interview out because it's it's great because obviously he does it all in English yeah. and um, and he's he's not afraid about um, you know using industrial language which um, <laughs> I mean I I'm, I'm sorry it's incredibly childish but there, there's something about like someone saying shit in a broad Russian accent which I, I'm sorry it's funny and he does it a lot of times and it's it, it's it's great he's got that like like you say that really like uh, I I really don't you know he. That kind of no airs or graces sure. um, about him. It's, it's a really great interview. All right. Well, look, people can check that out. I'll see if I can dig it out myself because I haven't heard that. But that sounds like uh, some good listening to me. Uh, I, I have to say the picture of uh, him going on as a substitute with the hat on and Wenger <laughs> pulling it off is just one of the all-time uh, classic Arsenal pictures. So check that one out if you can. But Tim, as always, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks a million. Yeah, my pleasure as always. You know where to find Tim. He's on Twitter at Stilberto. And of course, you read his column every Thursday here on Arsblog and you can read his stuff about Arsenal women on Arsblog News and part of the reason we've been able to do more about the Arsenal women is not just because Tim is kind of interested in it but because since we launched our Patreon site back in February many of you have signed up to become Arsblog members and it has helped us expand our coverage of everything to do with the club whether it's the women whether it's the youth and reserves more stuff from George Bird more podcasts and of course if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon you get access to exclusive articles and exclusive podcasts which are available available first there and in many cases will only ever be available there. So if you want to support the site and if you want to uh, get access, instant access to all those podcasts and articles, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. It costs five euros a month plus VAT if you're in the EU. If you're not in the EU, you don't have to pay VAT. And this week we launched a brand new podcast series that's going to run for a little while. I think myself and James are doing it. It's called Pastcast Extra in which myself and James do an Arsecast Extra about a game that happened in the past, but as if it had just happened. So the first one that we do is Arsenal 5, Middlesbrough 3, the day that we uh, equaled Nottingham Forest 42 game unbeaten run. Uh, an amazing game that was at Highbury that day, and we talk about it, we talk about the goals, and we try and put ourselves back into the frame of mind we were in back in 2004, August 2004. Sesc Fabregas just breaking through. Jose Antonio Reyes... Wow, 
He looks the part, doesn't he? I think himself and Thierry Henry are really going to connect. They're going to be the future striking partnership of this club for years to come. What could go wrong there? That kind of thing. It was really good fun to record. So if you want to get access to that, do sign up to become an Arsblog member. Or if you just want to support everything else that we do, you can do that as well. But all that extra stuff is there for you. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. If you're already a member, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the new podcast. If you're thinking about signing up, thank you in advance. It's great. And if you don't want to, that's also fine because all the stuff that we've always done on the site will be free and free forever. The blog, the podcast, the news site, all free of charge as it always has been. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Now on the Arsecast, somebody who I'm sure you're well aware of, not least because he's appeared on this podcast twice before. You'll see his cartoons in The Guardian as well, I'm sure. David Squires, hello. Hello, I'm well, thanks. Third appearance is a hat trick. Do I yeah. get to keep your podcast now? Yeah, you get to keep the podcast. You can have it. I get it. I'll have it delivered. It'll take a while to get down there. Uh, summertime mm-hmm. down under for you, of course. We're heading into terrible, bleak, cold, miserable winter, and you, you down there, you're, you're about to get scorched. We actually in Sydney, we've had a dust storm for the last couple of days, which. Um, I didn't actually realise was going was happening until I noticed my car was slightly grubbier than usual. <laughs> um, so it's not quite as spectacular as, uh, as as the news are making out. But but yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's lovely here at the moment. Mm, I am I am jealous. I have to say, but hey, there's not much we can do about weather. So <coughs> you've got you've got a new book coming out, or it's out already. I'm sorry, the new book is out. It's called Goldless is, yeah. Goldless Draws illuminating the genius of modern football uh, just in time for Christmas again. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, I think it's actually a, a year to the day that, since we last spoke and then a year to the day before that. So, yeah, it always seems to come out at the same time. Same time. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's called Goalless Draws, like you say, and it's um, a compilation or collection of my favourite cartoons from... Uh, the last four years of working at The Guardian. Uh, I realized I had quite a, a hefty back catalogue, so I was able to, to look through and, and pick a couple of hundred of my favorite ones and um, 
and yeah, present them present them like this. So um, yeah, hopefully people enjoy it. I enjoyed putting it together. Um, I'm usually someone who doesn't like looking back at any work older than about a week ago. So um, yeah. it was actually uh, quite psychologically traumatic, but um, but I realised I'm not as awful as I'd sort of convinced <laughs> myself that I am. Can, can you? That's what the strap. That's what the strapline of the book should have been. Yeah. Not as terrible as he thinks he is. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's either for a book or for a headstone. So you know, maybe save it. Save it for the good <laughs> one. Can you remember? clearly stuff that you've done because when i do the podcast and i've done the blog for many years sometimes people will come up and say oh i love that thing that you did or remember that episode you did this or you wrote that this time and most of the time i'm like no i don't genuinely remember doing that do you yeah do you go back sometimes and find yourself surprised at some of the stuff that you've i mean you probably have a vague idea oh, i remember doing something on that but are you sort of surprised yeah. at little bits and pieces that you come across like my my memory isn't great either so mm. when i was putting the book together i realized that there are three or four times that i've made made the same joke so i had to <laughs> sort of um had to choose one and it was actually a couple of times it was annoying because uh a few cartoons that I wanted to com- include, and then I realised that they all had the same joke. So uh, I had to, you know, just pick one. But um, yeah, generally, if I'm working on on a on a subject, say for example, if I'm doing something about Poppygate, that I mean, that's recent. I'll look back over the last four years and dig out those cartoons and and um, and, and note what I've said before and. Um, and I guess when you've got a, a style of writing or a style of drawing, you, you are inclined to um, sort of go back over old ground sometimes. But um, yeah, I think I have made the, the same joke a couple of times. That's just, just a recurring theme. That's the way you pass that off. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's all intentional. You're absolutely right. <laughs> um, what was I going to ask you? I think the last time we spoke, we we talked about... Uh, certain characters that are are difficult to draw, or you find it sometimes a little bit difficult to get the right likeness with certain people. Have any new people come into the Premier League over the last year that you've struggled with at all? Um, not to the extent of, um, I think the the last Crystal Palace manager, his name I can't remember for some reason. Uh, De Boer, I couldn't couldn't draw him at mm. all, and it drove me mad. So I was delighted when he, uh, you know, when he got fired after four games or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm sorry. Was it Ronald or Frank? I can never Frank. remember. Frank. One of the De Boers, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Frank. Sorry, Frank, but I, I'm glad that you're no longer, <laughs> you no longer have a high high profile paying job. Um, but no, this season I've been quite lucky. Um, uh, you know, Emery's pretty good to draw. He's got a very sort of distinctive, um, distinctive features. And uh, Mauricio Sarri is an absolute pleasure to draw. You know, <laughs> Little, uh, just everything. Like big nose, big pair of glasses. You know, chain smokes and a bit of a, uh, you know, a hunchback or sort of slightly <laughs> stooped, I should say rather, and scruffy. Like I've said to someone the other day that he dresses like a freelancer. He's, uh, he's, just, he's almost as badly clothed as I am. So um, yeah, I really like having him around, and I, I hope he stays. Um, of course, I've lost Big Sam. He's not around. And Arsene Wenger, who mm. is um, in this book, is I, I suppose it's almost like a catalogue of the last the last years of, of, of Wenger at Arsenal because 
uh, I would draw him on, on nearly a weekly basis. Um, and mostly because of, of his uh, physical features, you know, his um, just the way he carried himself. Were, yeah. Things like that were, were great to draw. Plus, you know, the, the occasional touchline implosion. And I mean, I don't need to tell you about what Arsene Wenger is <laughs> like, but... Um, but, you know, uh, I do, I do miss him. So it would be good if he, if he could come back in, in some sort of advisory capacity, at least. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot going on around Arsene Wenger over the last couple of years. It's fair <laughs> to say. So, I mean, he has said that he's gonna, he's gonna come back into management in January. Uh, you know, okay. I think he's hinted at that. Um, so that would be whether it's in the Premier League. I doubt it's going to be in the Premier League, but you know, I'm sure you can uh, cast your pen towards Europe if need be in that regard. I- I'm curious to see how Unai Emery is going to develop because I don't know if you've noticed. Maybe you haven't been watching as much as as we have, but he's got he's quite um, he likes to gesticulate a lot on the sidelines, and he makes some really. Yeah really strange faces so if you go to getty images their website and you search for unai emery he looks like a guy at times who is out at four o'clock in the morning and he's just dropped his third pill you know (laughs) and there's there's no music on he can't figure out what's happening it's like so there's uh, yeah i think you could get some mileage out of that he um so i work for uh the keep as well so i do something Mm. for them every couple of weeks so yeah, I've had uh, about a year of, of him at, at PSG and I felt like it was, I was delighted when he got the Arsenal job because I felt like I'd sort of, I've been warming up. So I was already happy with, with the way that I could, I could draw him. And, um, but he's, I mean, the fact that I've not really been able to draw him very much for the Guardian shows that things are going pretty well at Arsenal because generally I only draw people if, um, if their teams are, are losing, you know. Um, and that's not that I'm, you know, I, I want to be overly negative about people, or but there, there's more fun in in sort of taking the piss out of things than um, celebrating sure. wins. You know, I found it quite hard with England recently. You know, they're, they're absolutely flying. It was much easier to do this job when uh, when they're managed by Sam Allardyce. But um, <laughs> but yeah, with with Emery, I did um, I stuck him in. I think because the first couple of games, like the that opening month, were was a bit tough for him, wasn't yeah. it? And um, I drew him after the defeat against Chelsea when I noticed that he was like Arsenal miss were missing his catalogue of chances and after each one he would march out to the edge of his technical area and applaud. Um, so I think from memory I, I did a cartoon of various things going wrong and, and him marching out and applauding it. And um, they uh, actually haven't drawn him in ages. I yeah. think it, that might be the last time I, I got to draw him. Mm. And I thought I would be able to get a re- the recurring character of um, a French exchange student who is playing in central midfield. <laughs> name, yeah. um, so I came up with this John Paul character who was really based on sort of French exchange students who would come to my school when, when I was a kid. And, you know, um, but I've not been able to draw him for months. I'm really hoping that Jean Paul can make a, uh, make a comeback. Well, if it's dependent on Arsenal uh, losing or things going tragically wrong, I, I hope it might wait for a little while. But I suppose conversely, the yeah. lack of the lack of Emery has been very much offset by the I don't want to say the glut of Jose Mourinho, but I mean 
it, you, it is a glut, isn't it? I mean, you you must be just rubbing your hands together with glee. The sort of the the stuff they're serving you up there, and of course, we've had the development this season of of the the emo teenage Jose Mourinho as well, which is just a piece of genius. Where did that come from? Uh, that came from his behaviour over um, over the summer. So. After the World Cup, I think most people enjoyed the World Cup. It was 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 a good one, and everyone was kind of on a high. And I was actually looking forward to the start of the season. And then a week after uh, the World Cup final, you know, you, Jose started appearing in the news again, and mm. Manchester United on their preseason tour in the states. And he's so grumpy and just saying, "Oh, I don't know why anyone would come and watch this." And I sort of I tended to agree with him, I, but. Uh, you know that's uh, that's another issue, but just his general attitude and um, you know, and he was saying all of this while he was wearing this bright pink hoodie, and it just <laughs> reminded me of a teenager. So I did one cartoon. My preseason preview had the teenage Jose Mourinho uh, given a, um, talking about each of the teams in the Premier League in yeah. the style of. Uh, sixth form poet you know all this <laughs> existential dread and all the rest of it and then his mood didn't lighten so I carried on drawing him like a grumpy teenager and then that slowly developed into this emo character which now I'm stuck with so if I draw him normally then I think people are going to complain so either he needs to um, cheer up or find a new job um and I hope quickly because I'm really <laughs> running out of emo band references. Like I've, I've nearly exhausted, I've nearly exhausted the Wikipedia page. That's my dog kicking off. I'm sorry. That's okay. We're a dog friendly podcast. Don't worry about it. That's good. This is a prime time for her to go nuts at anyone who walks past. Quite right too. Warn them off. Don't come too close to the property. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, I, right. yeah, I don't know about Mourinho. Maybe he will get a new job somewhere. But uh, yeah, I <laughs> I feel your pain with the trying to figure out all these band references for bands that you don't really uh, have any knowledge <laughs> of. <laughs> but I mean, in, in fairness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, emo completely passed me by. I was already sort of well into my 30s by don't, the time that was uh, that was that was popular. So yeah. in fact, um uh, generally, I, I get off quite lightly with, um, you know, online comments and that sort of thing. But the most static I've ever had was when I called one band, described one band as emo, and uh, suddenly I had all their fans on my case on Twitter. So, and they're not emo. can't remember who it was, actually, which means I'm doomed to make the same mistake again in the near future. Yeah, just spend a while reading back over four years of cartoons. You'll figure out which joke you've made uh, before. Yeah, what, right. what, what were yeah, they? Right. What were they if they weren't emo? Was it like uh, ultra goth or what? I don't know. I mean, because it passed me by too. I think my daughter yeah, was yeah. that that way inclined for a little while, and then she yeah. sort of snapped out of it, um, thankfully. Uh, but they are, in in fairness, in the Premier League, serving you up a lot of a lot of stuff. You know, if the football is perhaps a little bit on the boring side because of, you know, City's dominance and Liverpool at least trying to catch up with them, you know, some of the stuff that's going on off the field in the Premier League, we get the European Super League, Richard Scudamore getting his £5 million, you know, so even if it's a quiet week, they're making sure you've got something to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't feel like I've written about anything on the the pitch for a while, actually, because uh, the football leagues 
revelations continue to, to come out. Um, and just this week, there's been um, reports about FIFA and mm. um, the ongoing disaster zone that is the, the, the next World Cup in Qatar. Uh, and that's the stuff that I'm I'm really interested in, um, and it's not always rich in comedic potential. You know, there, there's nothing particularly funny about migrant workers in in Qatar being exploited and dying on building sites. But I think um, what I found when I was putting the book together is that I've tried to put a mix of cartoons that are just they're trying to be just funny and others that that are attempting to make a more serious point. Mm. Um, But yeah, I'm often happier drawing cartoons about uh, events off the pitch. I think that's where the, where the real meat is, you know? Yeah. Is it, is it hard to, to deal with issues because you bring up, uh, Things like Brexit, you bring up uh, Trump uh, has come up. Uh, you know, these are issues which are kind of inescapable. I know you're a long way away in Australia, but surely yes. it's it. they seep into your life the way they seep into mine. As much as you might try and avoid yes. these uh, conversations or even hearing about them because you just don't want to know anymore because they drive you so mad, yeah. it's impossible because yeah. every time you turn on the news or you turn on Twitter with the best will in the world, someone's going to tweet something about something and you're like, oh, my God. So is it is it, yeah. is it tough to, uh, to write about these and to draw about these subjects without – I guess you have to be a little bit subtle about certain things, right? Because you don't just want to bash people over the head with whatever your opinion yeah. on the thing is. You've got to find some humor in it, but at least uh, yeah. look for the satire as well because that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, and – you're right with the, um, say for example, this week's cartoon was, there was quite a lot about Brexit. And I looked back at it and thought, mm, maybe this is a bit heavy handed. Um, it felt like I started working at it on, on, on Monday and people were still sort of dealing with the, the wash up of, of last week where, you know, the, the mayhem of last Thursday when it yeah. looked like the, the government was collapsing and all the rest of it. And, by the time it was published on Tuesday, people had sort of moved on a little bit. Um, but for me, it's often a way of me just getting this stuff out of my head, the frustration that I feel about about things like Brexit and, um, and Trump, you know, and uh, other political matters. So often it's just for my own benefit, mm. which maybe not might not be the best thing, but I feel that I need to express how I feel about these things. And they do have an, an impact on, on football. Um, I mean, sometimes directly, like the conversations we've seen this week about um, potentially reducing the number of foreign players for, for Premier League clubs, um, but also indirectly. Like everyone, we're all humans in the world, you know. We're all affected by this stuff. We all think about this stuff. Um, well, most of us do, you know. Yeah. Um, so... I've often said that, you know, football doesn't exist in this vacuum that isn't touched by by other parts of the world. And, yeah, and there'll inevitably be an effect on the football world when the planet is on fire. So <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a great leveller. Actually, the team I support, Swindon, it might be quite good for them. Finally, you know, if the world is just <laughs> this scorched 
<laughs> you know, um, a sort of blanket of ash, then uh, then finally those might be the conditions in which uh, Swindon can thrive. It might be like that. Oh God, I can't believe I'm going to bring this up, but the 1969 League Cup final, with the sort of the state of the pitch there, that was. Uh, Mm. That was our finest hour. I'm sorry. This is probably the last podcast I should mention that particular uh, <laughs> that event on. But well, um, yeah, I, but was, yeah, I wasn't alive. Of a force of the year show being able to be played <laughs> on every pitch before every game. Nuclear winter might be the thing that finally drags Swindon out of the fourth division. Well, look, I mean, who who wouldn't want that as a football fan? I think we've seen the football fans are willing to accept anything these days if it makes their team better. So whether that's oil-rich oligarch money, (laughs) blood money of some kind, or nuclear winter, look, you're just taking it to its furthest extreme, David. I think I'm... Am I morally in a better position than people who support clubs owned by, you know, oil states. I'm do, not sure. I'm do, probably not. Do, do you mean uh, in general or if nuclear winter were to come on your behalf? If I'm encouraging the end of human civilization, yeah. If I, I could get my hand on the nuclear codes, <laughs> I would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would press, I would work it out. I, I mean, I imagine Donald Trump sits there most evenings when he's, you know, on the shitter when he's not tweeting i'm sure he's fiddling around with the nuclear codes trying to work out the right combination oh even God. though he's probably been told it a hundred oh a terrifying a terrifying prospect uh, even if it would be good for you from a football point of view and just a, a final thing that i i want to touch on because um there are things i suppose that that happen where you have to make a decision about whether or not you're going to cover them and and uh the the recent events at Leicester was something I'd say that gave you a little bit of pause for thought. But if uh, you don't mind, and you don't mind me blowing a little bit of smoke up your arse, I thought that was really deftly handled. It was a terrible situation and a tragedy, but not only did you produce something that paid tribute to the people involved, but it was also funny as well, which is a, a remarkable skill without going uh even close to crossing any kind of line with that so um congratulations on that and then just you know when it comes to those sort of things um how how much did you have to think about that one and how to approach it or whether you would approach it at all yeah uh it was a tough one and i did i didn't have a huge amount of time to, to dwell on whether or not i could i could cover it i think so that incident happened on um, Sunday morning, my time here, and then I have to sit down and, and draw the cartoons on, on a Monday. And, you know, details were still pretty sketchy. It took a long time for, for any sort of confirmation to, to come out officially. So, um, yeah, and I, the time that I did have, I yeah, I gave some serious thought about whether or not it was appropriate for, for a cartoon. And... I realized that it really was the only or the major story that week. Um, and to not cover it would have been a bit weirder than, than to cover it. And you're right. It wouldn't have been appropriate to feel that cartoon with, um, you know, zingers. So, Mm. um, at the same time, I didn't want it to be, um, to uh, sort of saccharin or schmaltzy, you know, um, I felt that would have been insincere because I didn't know any of the people who were on on the helicopter, um, and you know, least of all the the Leicester owner. So what I tried to do was reflect on 
what he meant to Leicester supporters and to the, the town. And also think about how I felt about, um, about Leicester in the aftermath of them winning the league. It's only a couple of years ago. And even now it seems like one of those things that yeah. you kind of look back and think, did that really happen? That's absolutely nuts. Um, and I've done a few of these sort of tribute cartoons after um, football people pass away. And often in the aftermath of, of their, their deaths, you find out stories about them that, that you didn't know. Um, so I think about uh, examples of maybe Howard Kendall and um, Graham Taylor. Those, those are a couple of um, cartoons, uh, tribute cartoons I've done. And in both cases, um, after their deaths, there's stories about their generosity towards football supporters or people in the local community. And it's stuff you, you rarely hear about in, in their, you know, when, when they're alive. Um, so it was uh, that the Leicester cartoon was a bit of a balancing act. And when I sent it through to, uh, to the Guardian, I said, look, if you decide not to run this, I completely understand. Um, I, I'm not sure about it myself. And they, uh, the, the, the guy who I submit the cartoons to said, let, let me just run it past a couple of other people. I think it's fine, but, but we'll have a chat here. And luckily, um, it seemed universal within the office that it was, it was fine to run. And it got, um, uh, it got a good reception from, from the Leicester fans. So, uh, it was, it was quite a relief, but, um, I felt I would have been. It would have been strange not to draw that cartoon. Would have been, um, yeah, it, it was sort of disingenuous to just ignore it and talk about, you know, whatever football matches were being played that weekend. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, it's a difficult thing to do to approach subjects like that and to do it so delicately. So, uh, just another uh, example of why people should go out and buy your book Thanks for Christmas for themselves or for a, a loved one or whoever. We've got a couple to give away now in a minute, so I'll give people details of that. But, uh, David, great to talk to you again. Um, keep up the great work, and I suppose it'll be, what, a year to the day where we put in the diary now? <laughs> yeah, well, look, regardless of uh, whether there's another, another book, let's catch up next year anyway. For sure. David, pleasure as always. Lovely. Thanks very much indeed to David Squires. You can find him on Twitter at Squires underscore David, at Squires underscore David. The book is called Goalless Draws, Illuminating the Genius of Modern Football. If you are looking to give somebody a book this Christmas, why not give them a book that you can read yourself? You know, you can borrow or just sort of flick through it on Christmas Day, you know, laughing all the way and all that kind of stuff. It'd be a good present. People would thank you for it. But in the meantime, if you fancy winning a copy of the book, we've got a couple to give away with thanks to the publishers. Thanks, publishers. You're all right. Uh, all you got to do to enter is send me an email to competition at arsblog.com. Competition at arsblog.com. And uh, one of the Arsenal characters that appears with some frequency in David's cartoons is our chairman, who, of course, has a nickname uh, related to potatoes. So is it Sir Croquette? Is it Sir Chips? Or is it Sir Mash? <laughs> Just send me an email with the right answer. If you can figure it out, it is a tough one this week, I know. Competition at arsblog.com. Uh, this weekend we played Bournemouth. 
back to action, hopefully back to winning ways. We've only won one from five. Uh, Unai Emery said this week, it's time to give this team a push. Does that mean he's going to make many changes? Is he going to shift up the system? Is he going to shift up the personnel? What is he going to do? I don't know. That's the beauty of the Unai Emery era so far. We just don't know. We'll wait and see what happens. It's fifth against sixth. But we do need to get back to winning ways because games get tougher and more difficult uh, as we get into December. It would be good to get three points back on the board and uh, keep us in touch with those teams uh, in the top four and maybe put a little distance between us and Manchester United if they, you know, manage to to lose this weekend, which would, of course, be very nice indeed. So, look, James and I will cover everything about the Bournemouth game in the Arscast Extra on Monday. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Remember, give us a rating review on iTunes if you feel like it. If you don't, don't worry. Catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Arshavin's up after the music. Bye-bye. The end is near And so I face The final curtain My friend I'll say it clear I'll eat some cakes Of this I'm certain I played With belly full I'm not as fit as old Steve Highway Biscuits, chocolate croissants I did it my way Regrets, I've had a few That night I scored the four at Anfield That team Could not defend Was Wenger's fault Well He meant Steve Anfield Fullbacks I can't help out Not Gail Clichy Now shut up Ebway Biscuits, six Battenbergs, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was done, I ate it up Yum, 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 yum And spit it out I 
lost it all I'm five foot tall I did it my way <coughs> Oh, so hard on voice to sing Think I need biscuits? Bettenberg? Possibly a pie? Mm, love pies? <laughs> Goodbye, everybody! And remember, I am Gunnar. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.